Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can reach out through the phone. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Love to chat with you guys on and off the air through those means, as well as the usual Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can email me, Joe, at redstate.com. All right. So we have uh, some interesting news. Uh, This was news that actually came out yesterday, but the official announcement was today. And I want to back away from the politics for a second because this is a fascinating story to me. So officially, the United States government, scientists working for the United States government, have said that... Nuclear fusion energy is now possible. In the United States and across the globe, nuclear power is possible. It's done through nuclear fission, which is tearing apart atoms. And the energy that is created that way is what is used to create this nuclear power. Nuclear fusion is the combining of atoms. And nuclear fusion creates a massive amount of energy. And it's been the pipe dream of scientists since at least the 1950s to try to turn fusion, nuclear fusion, into a source of energy. Now, as of right now, the usual sources of energy, coal, gas, fossil fuels, uh, hydroelectric, wind, solar, etc. All of those exist, but each comes with their own issues. Uh, We don't have the battery power to store the energy that we would collect during the day from sunlight. The sun isn't out all day. I know that seems like a very crude and elementary way of saying it. That's the basic problem with solar. We don't have the battery capacity, the technology to create the battery capacity for solar or wind to store what power they bring in and disperse it out over a large area. You can put solar panels on a house and that helps, but you cannot create the batteries big enough to store a massive amount of energy collected from solar and wind. Hydroelectric, there's only so much that you can do given the sources in the country for coal and fossil fuels. Same thing. There is only so much that you can use. Nuclear energy, which is done through nuclear fission, is possible, but there have been activists so concerned after Chernobyl, uh, Fukushima, those reactor problems that People have been scared away from it, including environmentalist groups, have been scared away from nuclear energy, despite the fact that it is the cleanest energy possible. But nuclear fusion has always been a problem. Nuclear fusion is a very destructive power. And so you need a massive amount of energy simply to contain the power that's released through nuclear fusion. And we have never been able 
to create the type of power or the, the amount of power from nuclear fusion that would be more, that would produce more power than what is consumed to contain that power. It's kind of technical. I'm not an expert on it. Don't fuss at me if I mess it up. This is my understanding reading several articles today. So the idea that scientists have been chasing for 70 years is to try to figure out how you can produce fusion energy and not consume more power than is created to contain it. Today, the U.S. government has announced that they have done it. Scientists are now confident that within the next handful of decades, fusion energy can be, is doable, using that to replace current energy production systems is doable. And this is fascinating. This is possibly the biggest news of the century, if it's true. The federal Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California is where they've been working on it. And what they appear to have done is they've taken the most powerful laser that they can build or they can find in the country. And using that and laser beams and other items, they've been able to contain nuclear fusion. They've been able to ignite they've been able to ignite an amount of plasma to produce this energy but produce more, theoretically produce more than is consumed to contain it. And this is extremely revolutionary but we're still about 50 years away from it. And this is something that we as Americans who believe in American innovation, this is something that we should absolutely celebrate. Now, we don't exactly know how much power is produced. They have an estimate, but we don't know exactly how much power is produced because the the... The, the atoms, the, the, I think uh, the neutrons that were released, damaged the measuring equipment. So they don't know exactly how much, but they do believe, based on what they've observed, that it was more power produced than was needed to contain it. Which means this could theoretically provide powers to, power to homes. Uh, in the Financial Times article that came out yesterday, which was the first release of this, it was officially announced today, but this story came out yesterday. Um. A small cup of the hydrogen fuel could theoretically power a house for hundreds of years. And to me, that's an extraordinary scientific breakthrough. And I would love to see more of that in our energy field. And this is where the politics comes in. I would love to see more focus on the American innovation and and these sorts of things. 
than I want to see at activists who are going to museums and throwing paint and food on famous paintings to try to raise awareness about fossil fuels. This is how you get something done. And it's a tremendous effort by the American scientific community. So anyway, that to me, I think that's probably one of the most important stories of the century is the fact that we seem to be a step closer into nuclear fusion energy. All right, 232-1542, if you want to call in. We've got Charlie on the line now. Charlie, how are you today? Hey, doing good, man. How are you? Doing good. What you got? Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, just about the fusion thing, I was listening to Glenn Beck yesterday, and he was I was, he touched on the same thing that you just touched on about the, the first uh, experiment or whatever. They destroyed their measuring equipment, and the, the second one, it's undetermined. You know, they, they don't have concrete proof that, it, that they did anything yeah. other than try it. Mm-hmm. So... And then another article about the, the, the World Economic Forum or whatever, they, in their literature, they're claiming in 10 years we're going to be running on fusion. So how do, you, how, do they, how do they straighten that with it's going to take a handful of decades to even develop a power plant to even get it going? Somebody's <laughs> chasing rainbows there or something. I don't know. I, I would think the World Economic Forum is chasing the rainbows there uh, based well, on you – know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's a lot of well-wishing from government bodies. But the, the 10 years thing is important because 10 years is basically what environmentalists are always kind of telling. That's how long we have before mm-hmm. things are too dire to move on. So saying within 10 years almost exactly. seems like, you know, just calm down a bit. We, we're on the cusp of something here. But really kind of yeah. based on everything I read, it, it sounds more like 40 to 50 years away at minimum. Exactly. Yeah, but it is it is very it is exciting. I mean, it's pretty cool. I've been, I've worked in nuclear plants and all, and it's a, as long as it's contained, it's all right. But, you know, as we all know, if it's not, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And, cool, cool. and, and I, I really think that's awesome. Charlie, thank you very much for the call. That's awesome. Um, all right, buddy. Bye-bye. Have a good one. All right, let's go ahead and take this break. When we come back, more of your calls, more of your thoughts here on the Joe Cunningham show. We will be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. We are keeping an eye on the weather. Severe storms set to be rolling through uh, this evening and into tomorrow. Uh, So when you're out there driving today, tomorrow, please be careful. We will also uh, let you know, because we're seeing reports that schools in Baton Rouge are closing. Uh, Some Baton Rouge schools are closing tomorrow. We will keep an eye as far as LPSS goes, uh, hoping to have an answer on that sometime in the near future. We'll let y'all know as soon as that comes out. Uh, like I said, 232-1542. You can also send a message to the KPL app chat. In fact, uh, this wasn't during this show, but there's another hard lockdown at New Iberia Senior High. So yesterday, New Iberia Senior High, Nish, was locked down after an incident and law enforcement recovered a weapon from a student. Uh, We also now today have another incident that forced a lockdown. There was uh, there was not an active threat, but they were investigating a threat. So the school was on lockdown today. So that's twice in two days for Nish. Uh, There were three times in two days at Brobridge last night or last week. Uh, And of course, we've had the numerous ones. I hope that in the next semester of the year, things calm down a little bit. Uh, But one of the things that I saw a comment on our Facebook page when I wrote about the Beauchamp stories. Uh, Somebody said, well, if you stop hyping these up, if you stop responding to them so aggressively, 
they're the kids are going to stop doing it because they're trying to get the reaction or whatever. And I'm sorry, but you you can't. The whole reason that we're having these lockdowns at, at an increased rate is that school administrators and law enforcement are taking the threats a lot more seriously. So the big thing right now is trying to find the balance there. I mean, you can't, there's, there's really no balance, you know, like how do you ease up and not draw too much attention, but still say you, you, there's really no balance there. The balance comes in with how do you get the kids to stop doing it? Because a lot of these kids, you can pretty much guarantee think of it as a fun prank and they don't realize that it's up to 15 years and up to $15,000 in fines. Once they are convicted of terrorizing. And that's what they're being charged with. When you create a threat that causes this mass hysteria, this is terrorizing and it causes this massive law enforcement response. And a lot of kids just think it's some funny joke or something like that. We've seen these multiple threats here. We've seen what six kids in Lafayette parish who have been charged with it sent to juvenile centers because of it. And now you're going to continue to see that in other parishes as other law enforcement do the same thing. They have to respond in this aggressive way because you can't just little boy who cried wolf this, you know, you can't just say, well, they've made all these threats. There's nothing going to happen because at some point somebody's going to make that assumption and it is going to happen. At some point, somebody is going to make a threat and nobody takes it seriously, and that's when something bad happens. And even if it doesn't, as long as you're taking each threat seriously, you are negating the odds that anything serious will ever happen because of it. It's when law enforcement and school administrators start slacking off on it, that's when the threats actually do become real. But there is a cultural issue here in that kids think it's funny because they don't fully understand the effects here. That's why I think it was very interesting and probably the right way to go for LPSS to start talking about, start having the discussions about going after parents on this. Can you seek restitution from the kids and from the parents of the kids who cause these threats, who force these lockdowns, who create this massive law enforcement response at the schools? And I think that's the right way to go about it because this has to impact not just the kid, but it also has to get the parents more involved in what their kids are doing. Because no parent is going to want to be hit with a bill for thousands of dollars because of a school shutdown. Because if you can prove the financial damage, damages, loss, anything like that, you're going to be sued for it if it's your kid that is routinely threatening the school. And this all stems, of course, from the school shootings that we've seen and, and, and the lack of response, particularly in Uvalde, Texas. That was a major eye-opener for just how ineffective things can be if there's not a proper plan. And so now everybody is having to turn it up to 11 in order to make sure that their reactions are correct. Fire drills. Uh, tornado drills, whatever kind of drills they all they routinely have, this is really no different. If there is a threat, you have to treat it like it's serious. You have to take it seriously. So you need to know. You need to understand 
that you can't just not react to this stuff and think that the kids won't do it anymore. You have to take it seriously each and every time in order to make sure that there's no point at which you slip up. All right, y'all. It looks like Lafayette Parish School System is going to be closing schools on Wednesday. That is just coming through. Also getting word that appears to be for St. Landry Parish as well. I'm going to get all that confirmed and be back to you after this break here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. So again, before we get to the callers on the line, uh, with the weather reports looking uh, pretty serious for tonight and tomorrow, Lafayette Parish School System will be closing facilities tomorrow. Um, there is nothing being affected today. So all school activities planned and currently underway because we are at after school activities now. All those activities are none of those have been canceled. But tomorrow, facilities will be closed. And you can presume that after school activities tomorrow will be canceled as well. All right, 232-1542. If you want to be part of the program, you can also send a message to the KPL app chat. Let's jump right to the phones. We've got Teen on the line. Hey, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Doing good. What you got? Yeah, I was just commenting about the, um, you, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, maybe if people don't talk about it, then it won't get copycatted, you know, like yeah. bringing guns to school or, you know, those things. Yeah. Um, and I think more, it's, it's I don't want to I don't want to blame the media because we know we do need y'all right. But I think sometimes a lot of people copycat from what they they hear, you know, on the news on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they didn't hear about it, they might not do it. But uh, sending the cops and stuff out, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, do do that. That's that's. I mean, I, I'd be the last parent to say no. Don't send the cops because my kids just no send them. Yeah. But as far as putting it on the news a lot. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna, they might see it on social media, but they might see it days later. They might kind of die down or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's not the same world that, you know, that I went to school in anymore. But um, I think we just didn't advertise it so much. Um, you know, may, maybe we'd have a little, a little bit less of that. And I think sometimes the media, um, they, you know, jumping over each other to try to get the news out, um, it, it tends to maybe keep some of these things, these fires are lit. And if uh, we just didn't talk about them. Uh, on the news, let's say it would it would it wouldn't be as bad. I, I don't think it would be as bad, but yeah. uh, that's my two cents. All right. Well, I appreciate Thanks, it. A great show. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much for the call. And and yeah, I I understand that to an extent as well. And I I think that that there is a conversation that does need to happen about how much covers how much coverage is too much coverage, et cetera, and uh and uh. At the same time, the problem is when people don't get that in, when, when the information doesn't. So the information goes from the parishes, from, from the districts and law enforcement to the media. The media then reports it. And that is an important line of communication because when the media can put it out there in a safe and responsible way, not blowing it up, not hyping it up or anything, but just saying, hey, this school is under lockdown. Here's what happened. That information getting out there does help to kind of to hold back some of the panic 
that friends and family may have. Oh, God, there's a threat going on at whatever school, that sort of thing, when the information can be released out there. But, yeah, to to that point, you are right. When the media, when media hypes it up, which is what we try not to do here, we, we, we don't want to hype anything up like that. When when we put this information out there, it's so that the information can be available to those who are looking for what's going on at Nish, what's happening, that sort of thing, what's going on at Beauchamp, what's going on at Lafayette High, whatever these situations may be. It's not about trying it, – it's not about drawing the traffic or anything. It's about getting that news out there. But it does need to be done in a responsible way because there are dishonest click uh, – you know, click chasers out there, and it's at all levels of media, local, state, national, everything. Thank you again for the call. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got Scott on the line. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, get with uh, the children, call it at uh, five to us. Mm-hmm. I think if the uh, parents were held responsible also, a lot of that would change because, you know, if I, I was a parent and my child did that and I set a bill and charged, you know, yeah. when I did ever teach my child better, when, when I got home with that child, we'd have a good, long discussion, the yeah. old-fashioned way. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think that does you need know, to be, need to be, uh, uh, I, I think that does need to I be more because, parent involvement, yeah. Because, oh, I know it used to be, if a child did some damage to a car or something like that, they were held, the parents were held responsible. Mm-hmm. And I think those type of laws are still in effect. Yeah. So what's the difference if they close down a school because they call it a bomb threat or damage it or car because they stole it and went and wrecked it? Um, so from the legal sense, and, and Lafayette Parish School System had this discussion uh, a few a couple months back at a school board meeting talking with their in-house attorney, talking with uh, the, the the district attorney, and uh, what, I think one of the legal issues here is can you prove the damages on that? Can you prove that it costs somebody something when this happens? And they seem very confident that you can. So it does look like that for future instances like this, you will actually see these districts go after parents for damages when a school is locked down due to a, a, a joke threat or, or a threat that somebody – makes because they, they they think it's funny or they want the school to be locked down or canceled because of a threat or anything like that. If you can prove those damages, it looks like they will be going after parents. So I think we're we're on our way to that. Well, that's, well, that's all I have to say about it. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for the call. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I do hope that's the way that it goes. Scott, thank you very much for the call. All, all y'all, thank you very much for the calls and the comments. Um, and, and this is this is something that I kind of noticed. Um, those those high profile threats that we've seen in Lafayette Parish, we saw some more after the stuff, particularly at Lafayette. But we we saw a few more at a couple of the different schools. But it does seem like. The reaction, the law enforcement, the getting there, the charging, it does seem like that is having an impact. Um, Don't want to jinx it, but it does look like that people are taking it more seriously. So we'll see going into the new year, into the second semester of the school year, if that keeps up. But we're also seeing it happen more and more in the parishes around us, which I find a little bit interesting. All right, 232-1542, if you want to call and be part of the program 
Uh, moving on, there's a couple other stories I wanted to kind of hit on today. And uh, one of them I, I, I teased a bit yesterday. Now, there is a website called The Free Press. And it is run... Uh, it is run by journalists who were kind of tired of the uh, of of how biased media newsrooms are really shaping the narrative. And this is not conservative journalist uh, Barry Weiss, who was at the New York Times, high profile departure there because of how the newsroom was basically shaping coverage left there, started a substack, and that's become now the free press with a lot of a lot of them left of center journalists, but journalists who believe in the idea of coverage that focuses on the stories and not how the reporters feel about the stories. And so there is a there's a story there that is an interesting conversation to have. The beginning of the end of gender affirming care. That's the name of the story. Britain is closing its infamous Tavistock Center. Finland and Sweden have radically revised their treatment guidelines, but American doctors are advertising surgeries to children on TikTok. That is the subhead here, and that's the focus of the story. We're seeing other countries move away from this drastic focus on affirming gender dysphoria, surgical transitions, hormonal transitions, things like that. And the U.S. is behind the curve on that. So is that a conversation that America should be preparing for? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's take this break. We'll get to that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation. So there's this article at the free press. It's vfp.com if you want to find the website. The story is the beginning of the end of gender-affirming care. I want to read the, the opening bit to you. Over the past three decades, the Gender and Identity Development Service at the Tavistock Clinic in London has seen thousands of British children for gender dysphoria, with a British minister noting that, a, that more than 4,000% increase of referrals for girls alone in the last decade. But on Thursday, Britain's National Health Service announced that it was closing down Tavistock for good and, in effect, rebuking the common American medical approach known as gender-affirming care for treating children with gender dysphoria. This can include a mix of puberty suppressants, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries, interventions in minors that can lead to irreversible effects. For years, whistleblowers have rung the alarm about shoddy care at Tavistock. Psychologists who work there, like Sonia Appleby and Sue Evans, said that vulnerable children were being prematurely rushed to transition. Parents confronted the head of the clinic. A courageous detransitioned woman, Kara Bell, said that kids at Tavistock were unable to understand the ramifications of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. The National Institute for Care and Excellence in governmental body, uh, that is a governmental body, that creates evidence-based guidelines, found that the link between transitioning and improved psychological function was, in fact, very weak. And then the coup de grace. 
the widely respected pediatrician Dr. Hillary Cass, in, in an independent study of Britain's care for transgender children, found that Tavistock's approach was unsustainable and children were receiving inadequate care. There was, Dr. Cass wrote in her report, a lack of consensus and open discussion about the nature of gender dysphoria and therefore about the appropriate clinical response, among many other issues. In a sign that they may be rethinking puberty blockers are safe and reversible, which has been the party line of federal uh, groups, federal uh, administrative uh, groups like the FDA, there was an announcement. The FDA actually announced that it was slapping a new warning on puberty blockers. It turns out they may cause brain swelling and vision loss. Puberty blockers are safe and reversal. That's what the federal government's been telling us. Now the FDA is telling us that it may cause brain swelling and vision loss, which does not seem to be safe and reversible. But for now, the move among American medical associations, health officials, and dozens of gender clinics is to double down on the affirmative approach with the Biden administration recently asserting gender affirmation is trauma-informed care. The story goes on to note that the American stance is at odds with a growing consensus in the West to exercise extreme caution when it comes to transitioning young people. There is almost like a social virus, a spike in juveniles declaring that they are transsexual and that they identify as blank, whether it's the opposite gender, whether they identify as non-binary, whatever it is. And it's been on the rise for quite a while. But starting with the lockdowns from COVID-19, We've seen a massive spike both in news coverage and in the number of kids in schools who are claiming that they are something other than what they were born as. I tend to be fairly progressive on the subject of transgender, especially among teens. Being a teenager is hard enough. And Teenagers go through a lot of change. They have a lot of ideas. They try to form their own identity. And oftentimes those identities do change. Sometimes they will decide one minute they are one thing and the next minute they've decided to go back. But it's not enough to simply declare that it is a mental illness and try to treat it as such. Yes, there is a mental illness aspect to it, but it's not something that can just be that easily dismissed. But we've seen now this goes from just a mental issue to now becoming a social virus where everybody is doing it because social media is telling them to. And for two years in lockdown, Kids across the country who had nothing else to do because they couldn't go out and hang out with their friends saw influencers on social media tell them, it's okay, you're not what you think you are, you're not what they tell you you are, you're actually this, and it's okay to think this, it's okay to be this, 
go ahead and adopt this person out. They have been forced through algorithms on social media to believe that perhaps they are this when they've never had that thought prior to that moment, but then they start gaslighting themselves and start going back to all the times they felt awkward or out of place, and they've decided this is it. This is why. I've known trans students. I've taught trans students. I've worked with them. And this is not something that you can simply dismiss as, this is a mental illness and you need to fix it right now. This is a realization they have to be walked through. But the American government and medical associations and doctors and everybody like that in the American health system, they've all decided that there's no need to talk to a kid about it. They say they are. Let's go ahead and give them hormone treatment. Let's go ahead and give them a life-altering surgery, and that'll be good enough because that gets them what they need. And now we're seeing high-profile detransitioning. We're now seeing people walk back from that. And so the, ant- the question has to be, are we, are we being too aggressive and why are we being too aggressive? And the American government, American medical system has to ask that now. Thank you guys very much. Shannon is offsides next. In the meantime, twitter.com, Joe, at Joe P. Cunningham, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Talk to you guys again in 23 hours. Have a great one. Stay safe during this weather. We'll be back here on the, on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL.